This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. So tonight, inshallah ta'ala, we get into one of my absolute favorite companions and someone who, to me, uh, and this is just me saying it, but who resembles Mus'ab ibn Umayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu from the Ansar. If there was a parallel to Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu from Mecca and the role that he served and the personality that he had and the way that he would immediately capture you when you saw him, it is this man that we speak about today, Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Just like we've done with a few of the companions, I want to give you an introduction as if you're coming to meet Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And so I actually want to start tonight from Damascus. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala free our brothers and sisters in Asham and Damashq. Allahumma ameen. Abu Idris al-Khawlani rahimahullah is one of the greatest of the tabi'een, one of the greatest scholars of the second generation of Muslims. And he describes this incident, قَالَ دَخَلْتُ مَسْجِدَ دِمِشْقَ I entered into the masjid in Damascus. فَإِذَا فَتَنْ شَابٌ بُرَّاقُ الثَّنَايَا وَإِذَا النَّاسُ مَعَهُ إِذَا اخْتَلَفُوا فِي شَيْءٍ أَسْنَدُوا إِلَيْهِ وَصَدَرُوا عَنْ قَوْلِهِ said there was this man that was sitting amongst the people and he was a very young man and he was one of the most beautiful people that I'd ever seen. And he had this beautiful mouth and pearly white teeth. And he was sitting with some people and when anyone disagreed about anything, they all turned towards him. So they're clearly in a gathering of knowledge, a fiqh of some sort. And when they had any disagreement, they turned towards this man and they asked him what he thought and his statement was clearly the final statement. So he's clearly the scholar amongst this group. And he said, as I was watching him and I was watching his manners with the people, he said, I asked the people about him. I said, who is this? And they said, هذا Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu ta'ala anhu. This is Mu'adh ibn Jabal. قَالَ فَلَمَّا كَانَ الْغَدِّ so he said, the next day I waited until he finished the prayer and then I came to him from in front of him and I saw that he had already preceded me to the salah. So I basically went next to him while he was praying. I sat there and I waited for him to finish. So Abu Idris is talking about how he introduces himself to this great companion Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So he says, فَانْتَظَرْتُهُ حَتَّى قَضَى صَلَاتَهُ ثُمَّ جِئْتُهُ مِنْ قِبَرِ وَجْهِهِ So I waited for him to finish his prayer and then I went in front of him. فَسَلَّمْتُ عَلَيْهِ And I said, السَّلَامُ عَلَيْكُمْ to him. And then I said, وَاللَّهِ إِنِّي لَأُحِبُّكَ لِلَّهِ I swear by Allah that I love you for the sake of Allah. This is his first time seeing Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu anhu and just the way that he carried himself and the presence that he had about him and the way that all of the sahaba, the tabi'een, all of these students were crowding around him and the appearance that he had, the mannerisms that he had. I just want to tell you that I love you for the sake of Allah. Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, Allah, 
for the sake of Allah, فَقُلْتُ Allah, Only for the sake of Allah. قَالَ Allah, He said, only for the sake of Allah. I said, only for the sake of Allah. He said, only for the sake of Allah. Are you sure? I said, only for the sake of Allah. So he said, he pulled me close to him and he said, أَبْشِرْ Glad tidings to you. فَإِنِّي سَمِعْتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ يَقُولُ I heard the Messenger of Allah صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ say, قَالَ اللَّهُ تَبَارَكَ وَتَعَالَى Allah, the Most High, has said, وَجَبَتْ مَحَبَّتِي لِلْمُتَحَابِينَ فِيَّ وَالْمُتَجَالِسِينَ فِيَّ وَالْمُتَزَاوِرِينَ فِيَّ وَالْمُتَبَادِرِينَ فِيَّ That my love has been mandated for those who love each other for my sake, for those who sit each, with each other for my sake, for those who visit one another for my sake, and for those who give to each other with generosity for my sake. So he is actually the one who narrates this hadith from the Prophet ﷺ that my love, Allah's love, has been mandated for those who love each other for the sake of Allah. And Abu Idris happened to be that person that comes to Mu'adh and says, I just want you to know, inni uhibbuka lillah, that I love you for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah make us amongst those mutahabin, Allahumma ameen, those who love each other for his sake. And there are so many other narrations uh, like this, a man by the name of Abu Bahriya, rahimahullah, qala dakhaltu masjid al-Hims, I entered into the masjid al-Hims, fa'idha bifatan hawluhu nas and then I saw this man and he's surrounded by people. And he says, إِذَا تَكَلَّمَ كَأَنَّمَا يَخْرُجُ مِنْ فِيهِ نُورٌ He said that every time he spoke, it was like light and jewels and pearls were coming from his mouth. فَقُلْتُ مَنْ هَذَا I said, who is this man? And they said, that is Mu'adh ibn Jabal, sahibu Rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Mu'adh ibn Jabal, the companion of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And before I even start with his story even further about how he gets this ranking, on the Day of Judgment, who is Sayyid al-Shuhada? Who is the master of the martyrs on the Day of Judgment? Everyone knows Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that on the Day of Judgment, when the Shuhada are lined up, may Allah count us amongst them, Allahumma ameen, when the martyrs are together, their Sayyid, their leader, will be Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Who is Sayyid al-Mu'addineen? Who is the master of all Mu'addins? Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu. We all know that on the Day of Judgment, the Prophet as he described the people of Adhan, with their long necks, with their prominence, standing and gathering on the Day of Judgment, Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu is their Sayyid. Bilal is the one who leads them. As for the ulama, as for the scholars, Sayyidul ulama, the leader of all the scholars on the Day of Judgment is Mu'adh ibn Jabal. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, Ya'ti Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu ta'ala anhu bayna yaday al-ulama aw amam al-ulama. Mu'adh will show up on the Day of Judgment ahead of all of the ulama, standing in front of all of the people of knowledge. And he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, biratwatin, that he'll have a degree ahead of them. He'll be standing with a space between him and them. So he'll be clearly distinguished from amongst them. So imagine on the Day of Judgment when you come, you will know who Mu'adh ibn Jabal is when you see the ulama, when you see all of the scholars of all of history from the companions and beyond coming forth on the Day of Judgment. And this man, Mu'adh ibn Jabal anhu, is the leader of all of those ulama according to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. As Abu Nu'im said, Imam al-Fuqaha wa kanzul ulama, 
the Imam of all jurists and the treasure of the scholars. And there is a narration, but this narration is, is a debatable narration. Hakim graded it as authentic and others differed with him, but just of the praise of Mu'adh that the Prophet ﷺ was narrated to have said, Mu'adh ibn Jabarin, a'lamu al-awwalina wal-akhirina ba'd al-nabiyyina wal-mursaleen. That Mu'adh is the most knowledgeable person from the first and the last of people other than the Prophets and the Messengers. And he is a man that Allah boasts to the angels about. So who is Mu'adh? Let's talk about Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu ta'ala anhu and how he comes into the picture with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He was basically a young boy when the Prophet sallallahu received revelation. He was not an adult. He was a young boy who was noted for, first and foremost, his appearance. كان معاذ طويلاً حسناً جميلاً They said he was tall, he had a beautiful appearance, he was extremely handsome, he had a bright weedish complexion, he had curly hair, he had beautiful big eyes, and he had broad shoulders, a slight limp, and a beautiful smile, the most beautiful smile that the people had seen. Jabir anhu said, min ahsan nasi wajhan wa a person who had the most beautiful, or of the most beautiful appearances as well as characters. And when he was silent, people stared at him in awe. And when he spoke, people listened to him in awe. So he captures people. As I said, very similar story to Mus'ab radiallahu anhu, a great parallel to Mus'ab ibn Umayr in Mecca. So Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu is this person that captures the attention of people due to his eloquence, his appearance, his character, and he was someone who was very popular amongst the youth of Medina. He was someone who was very popular amongst the youth of Medina, and he was noted for his intelligence very early on. He is the person who, of course, Anas anhu included amongst the Hufad, those that would go on to become the Hufad of Qur'an, those who memorized the Qur'an. And one of those who the Prophet said, خُذُ الْقُرْآنَ مِنْ أَرْبَعَةً Take the Qur'an from four people. I mean, if you want to learn the Qur'an properly, learn it from four people. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, Ubay ibn Ka'ab, Mu'ad ibn Jabal, and Salim, Mawla Abi Hudayfa. We've already spoken about Ibn Mas'ud and Salim, of course, who are from the people of Mecca, the Muhajireen. And inshallah ta'ala, now we talk about Mu'ad and Ubay. Now, when Mus'ab radiallahu anhu comes to Medina, he's also a young man, he's older than Mu'ad. Mu'ad radiallahu anhu, is about 11 or 12 years old. So similar age to Zayd ibn Thabit radiallahu anhu. Very, very young. And he hears the da'wah of Mus'ab ibn Umayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu who's about 20 years old when he goes to Medina and he starts to call the people to Islam. And he immediately embraces the da'wah of Mus'ab. So he's one of those that embraced Islam prior to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi coming to Al-Medina. His father had passed away before Islam. So his father's name is Jabal. Ibn Amr ibn Aus, and his mother, uh, there's actually a difference of opinion about his mother. There's a woman that attended Bay'atul Aqaba Athaniya, the allegiance on the night of Aqaba. Her name was Umm Manir. Some of the books actually say Umm Manir is the mother of, of Mu'adh ibn Jabal. She's actually his mom. And then some of them said, no, it's actually his aunt or his cousin. Someone that was very influential that played a role in his life clearly. So she's one of the two women that attended the night of the pledge with the Prophet ﷺ alongside Nusayba bint Ka'b. So some narrations actually say that was Mu'ad's mother that was there on the night of Al-Aqaba. 
and others say that it was a woman by the name of Hind bin Sahl al-Juhayna, uh, who also embraced Islam radiallahu ta'ala anha. But the point is, is that he is uh, amongst those who embraces Islam and his mother embraces Islam at a very young age. And he was actually amongst those who went to Mecca and that took the pledge with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and bay'atul aqaba. So he's one of the 70 first people that went out from Medina to Mecca to take the pledge with the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu comes back and guess what Mu'adh's best friend, what his name is? Mu'adh, alright, so there are two Mu'adhs. There are actually a few Mu'adhs in Medina and we'll get to them inshallah. But his best friend is actually a young man named Mu'adh ibn Amr ibn Jamur. Okay, Mu'adh ibn Amr is his best friend. They grew up together in Medina. And they're both from the same tribe, a tribe known as Banu Salima. Banu Salima. And they're a sub-tribe of Khazraj. Now, Mu'adh ibn Amr, his best friend, his father is the chief of their tribe. And inshallah ta'ala, one day we're going to have a first short, just a short uh, version inshallah ta'ala, describing Amr ibn Jamur, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. But he's the chief of the tribe. So basically the two Mu'adhs decide to play a trick, similar to the trick that Abdullah ibn Rawaha played on Abu Darda initially. They basically take his idol and they throw his idol in the dumpster. So Amr ibn Jamuh is enraged, you know, how could you throw my idol into the dumpster? So what does he do? He goes and he gets the idol and he hangs a sword on the neck of his idol. And he says to his idol, next time they come at you, I want you to defend yourself. <laughs> so the two Mu'adhs basically take this idol uh, of Amr ibn Jamuh and they throw it into a worse dumpster and they actually take it apart. And that was the reason by which uh, Amr eventually would become Muslim. So Mu'adh has a strong personality very early on. He's one of those who's active in the da'wah and he's one of those who's calling the youth to Islam. So he's actually calling some of the younger people to Islam. And that's one of the beauty, beautiful things about Medina is that every layer of society is affected by Islam, right? In Mecca, it's pretty much relegated to the poor people, to the, to the, the class of those that were enslaved and poor and oppressed. Very few exceptions to that rule. In Medina, you have some level of penetration of Islam in every class of people. And Mu'adh ibn Jabal is a da'i amongst the youth. He's someone who's calling young people to Islam, teenagers to Islam, explaining Islam to them. But he's so intelligent that he's already debating with some of the people of the book. Now remember, you had some of the Jewish tribes, people of the book that settled in Medina because they were waiting for the Prophet but then once the Prophet ﷺ came, just like the people of Mecca rejected the child of Ibrahim ﷺ, they rejected the Prophet ﷺ and Mu'adh would go and he would argue with them. And he would say, we grew up hearing from you about a Prophet that was coming. We grew up hearing from you about a Nabi, about a Prophet with this description. And now that he came, you're rejecting him. And it was actually in the capacity of his argument with them that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed, Verily, those who conceal the proofs from those who know the book, those who conceal the proofs that have come down from the proofs and from the guidance. 
So this was actually in the capacity of Mu'adh talking to some of the people of the book in Medina and saying, listen, you are biblical scholars. You told us about this prophet and now you're amongst those that are rejecting them, rejecting him. And he was the one who was actually arguing with them uh, on behalf of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Now, when the prophet sallallahu alayhi came to Medina, he knew he had a special follower in Mu'adh. And so he kept Mu'adh around him and the prophet sallallahu spent a lot of time investing in him, in terms of knowledge, in terms of the revelation. And there's something very special about this that Mu'ad could have easily been overlooked because of his age. But the Prophet ﷺ sees potential immediately in this young man, and the Prophet ﷺ brings him close to him. And the Prophet ﷺ not only treats him like an adult, he makes him a brother to one of the most prominent muhajireen, one of the most prominent people of Mecca. Now what can Mu'ad offer as a host, right? He's, he's just a kid, he's just a teenager when the Prophet makes his way to Medina. But this was one of the ways that the Prophet raises the self-esteem of a person, raises the confidence of a person, and allows for the quick integration between the muhajireen and the ansar, the people that had migrated from Mecca and the people that were hosting in Al-Medina. So the brother that he chose for Mu'adh ibn Jabal was none other than Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu. Okay? Now Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, to remind you, was also a young man when he became Muslim. He loved the Qur'an and he was the first person to recite the Qur'an publicly in Mecca. There's no person who took more surahs fresh from the mouth of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam than Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu. So imagine a house in which Abdullah ibn Mas'ud and Mu'adh lived together. They were both single men as well, right? And we don't have any explicit narrations about what life was like, but we have independent narrations about both of their qiyam, about the way that they used to stand up at night and pray. And you can imagine those two praying together, and those two waking each other up, and those two fasting together. And the impact that Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu has on Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu anhu right away. Now, unlike Zayd ibn Thabit, Mu'adh just made the cut when the Battle of Badr came. He was just old enough, he was 15 years old, to fight on the day of Badr. So Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu also is amongst those who attended every single battle alongside the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa And the thing that he becomes distinguished by is his knowledge particularly his love of the Qur'an, which is why we're talking about him in this order in particular. His love of the Qur'an, he becomes one of Qutab al-Wahi, one of those who the Prophet ﷺ actually entrusted to write the revelation. So like Zayd anhu, he was literate, he was able to write, uh, to read and write. And he becomes an authority on the Qur'an. And I want you to just imagine in a society where you have the people of Mecca, the people of Medina, you have Abu Bakr and Umar, and Abu Sa'id al-Khudri and some of these amazing senior companions, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, أَعْلَمُ النَّاسِ بِالْحَلَالِ The most knowledgeable person in my ummah about what is halal and what is haram is Mu'adh ibn Jabal. I mean, can you imagine being a teenager in that society and hearing that? That Mu'adh is the most knowledgeable person about halal and haram from this ummah. We said Zayd radiallahu anhu was distinguished by what? What was Zayd's specialty aside from the Qur'an? Does anyone remember? Inheritance. The Prophet said, 
that afraduhum, Zayd is the one who gets inheritance more than anyone else. He understands the fiqh of inheritance, the complications of inheritance and property law. Mu'adh is a'lamuhum bil halali wal haram. Mu'adh understands jurisprudence, what is permitted and what is prohibited better than anyone else in this ummah. So you've got a nation where your two most distinguished scholars are teenagers. Talk about establishing a civilization and a society for the future. And the Prophet ﷺ is in his 50s. He's not a young man anymore. And there are senior companions from Mecca, and they accepted this. And they honored Mu'adh ibn Jabal. And you'll start to see, subhanAllah, Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali honoring Mu'adh ibn Jabal amongst them, even though he was just a kid when the Prophet ﷺ came to Al Madinah. But he quickly understood and grasped the scheme and the, uh, and I don't want to use the word scheme because it could have a negative connotation to it for perhaps in some people's minds, but the means by which halal and haram were being delivered to this ummah and understood and grasped very quickly the fiqh, the understanding of this religion to the point that he was one of the few people that the Prophet allowed to give fatwa while he was alive, all right, meaning the Prophet ﷺ gave Mu'adh the authorization that if I'm not around, people go to him and ask him questions. So he had the rank of being able to give fatwa during the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ as a young man. And the Prophet ﷺ would frequently praise him in one narration. He said, Ni'mal rajulu Abu Bakr, Ni'mal rajulu Umar, Ni'mal rajulu Mu'adh ibn Jabal. What an amazing human being Abu Bakr is. What an amazing human being Umar is. What an amazing human being Mu'adh ibn Jabal is. So just to even be mentioned in that rank, in that category, is a sign of the uh, superiority of Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So he's the mufti, or one of the muftis of the companions, one of those who in the very early days can actually give fatwa and talk about what's halal and haram, did not feel shackled by his age, nor did he demonstrate the immaturity that would come with many youth at that age. Continues to go out with the Prophet on many of the battles, continues to shadow the Messenger continues to learn the Quran, continues to uh, adhere to the ways of the people of Mecca, the Muhajireen, and learn from his elders. But Umar anhu would say, Man arad al If anyone has a question about fiqh, about halal and haram, about jurisprudence, go to Mu'adh ibn Jabal. So he quickly has the authorization from the companions of the Messenger وسلم, as well as the Prophet Now of the beautiful things about Mu'adh in this regard as well is that many of the hadiths are narrated while Mu'adh is sitting behind the Prophet وسلم, on a donkey or a camel or sitting next to him and the Prophet وسلم, putting his hand on his chest or putting his hand on his knee. And that is something that you also see recurring with the Messenger وسلم, and the youth in particular. Right? So when Mas'ud anhu, for example, when he narrates that you know, we were in the masjid, young men talking about marriage, and the Prophet وسلم, came and he made space for himself and he sat amongst us, and the Prophet وسلم, looks at us and says, Ya ma'ashar al-shabab man istata'a minkum al-ba'a falyatazawwaj. Oh young men, whoever amongst you can get married, let them do so. And if you cannot, then fast, and that will be a shield for you in this life. Or the narration of Zayd ibn Thabit عنه, that we spoke about last week, that kunna ma Rasulillah when we were sitting with the Prophet if we talked about dunya, he talked about dunya. 
We talked about Akhirah, he talked about Akhirah. So if we talked about worldly things, he talked about worldly things. And if we talked about the hereafter, he talked about the hereafter. And if we talked about food, he talked about food, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Or Abdullah ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhumah, who we will have a detailed lecture on, inshallah ta'ala, uh, who receives advice from the Prophet, sallallahu with the Prophet, sallallahu riding in front of him, and Rasulullah, sallallahu turning to him fully. Right? So putting the brakes on the donkey, turning around to him, and saying, Ya ghulam inni wa'allimuka kalimat. Oh young man, let me teach you some words. Or while Ibn Abbas brings him his wudu, the Prophet sitting with him and talking to him. Or Anas ibn Malik and Ali ibn Abi Talib. So it's a frequent thing that we see from the Messenger So many of the hadiths of Mu'ad ibn Jabal arrive to us in this fashion. So one of the famous hadiths is in Sahih Muslim and Mu'ad narrated it at his death. And you'll see exactly why. Mu'adh radiallahu anhu says, one day I was riding behind the Prophet on a donkey and Rasulullah said, Ya Mu'adh ibn Jabal, O Mu'adh ibn Jabal, Qultu labbayka Rasulullahi wa sa'dayk. Here I am, O Messenger of Allah, I'm at your service. And he said, the Prophet stayed silent. Then the Prophet a few minutes later said, Ya Mu'adh ibn Jabal, O Mu'adh, he said, labbayka ya Rasulullah wa sa'dayk. I'm at your call, at your service, O Messenger of Allah. What is it, O Messenger of Allah? And he said the Prophet went silent again for a few minutes. The Prophet was building anticipation within him. He said, Ya Mu'adh ibn Jabal, labbayka ya Rasulullah wa sa'dayk. What is it, O Messenger of Allah? I'm at your service. I'm at your service. So the Prophet said to me, Ya Mu'adh, hal tadri ma haqqullahi ala al-ibad? O Mu'adh, do you know what Allah's right is upon his slaves? What is Allah's right upon his slaves? What do you all think is the answer? What's Allah's greatest right upon us? That you worship him without ascribing partners to him. Right? So Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhum said, Allahu wa rasuluhu a'lam, because he has adab, he, this is a, a scholar, right? A mufti of the companions, but he doesn't want to answer wrong and he wants to show his manners with the Prophet sallallahu So he says, Allah and his messenger know best. So the Prophet وسلم, he said, The right of Allah upon his servants is that they worship him and they don't attribute any partners to him. So Mu'ad says, then we rode for some more time. And you know what the beauty of this is? One of my mashayikh pointed this out when I was reading Sahih Muslim to him. He said, notice how many times the Prophet uh, is said, some time passed. So meaning, you know, the Prophet was not just spending a few minutes with him, like he's actually giving him his time. So the Prophet rode for a little bit longer. And he said, Ya Mu'adh ibn Jabal. This is the teacher, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Oh Mu'adh. Mu'adh says, Labayka ya Rasulullah wa sa'adayk. I'm here, O Messenger of Allah. So he said, Hal tadri ma haqqul ibadi ala Allah idha fa'alu dhalik? Do you know what right the slaves of Allah have upon him, if they do that, if they worship him without attributing partners to him. So I said, Allahu wa rasuluhu a'lam, Allah and his messenger know best. Qala an la yu'adhibahum, that Allah will not punish them. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not make us amongst those that are punished. Allahumma ameen. 
So Mu'ad says, Ya Rasulullah, أَفَلَا أُخْبِرُ بِهَا النَّاسِ فَيَسْتَبْشِرُوا O Messenger of Allah, should I go tell everybody? Because they'll be happy, they'll rejoice at this news. What an amazing hadith. I mean, what right do we really have upon Allah? He created us, right? But the Prophet is saying, your right upon Allah, if you worship Him without attributing partners to Him, is that He won't punish you. So he says, Ya Rasulullah, should I go tell everybody? And the Prophet وسلم, he turns around and he says, إِذَنْ يَتَّكِلُوا said, Mu'adh, if you do that, then people are going to get lazy. Like I'm sharing this with you, because the Prophet knows who he's talking to. He's talking to a young man who is going to exert himself constantly, right? Mu'adh's not going to say, well, I'm going to go home and relax. Why am I trying to become one of the scholars of the Sahaba? He says, إِذَنْ يَتَّكِلُوا He said that people will get lazy. So Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu, أَخْبَرَ بِهَا عِنْدَ مَوْتِهِ تَأَثُّمًا he only said it literally while he was dying. He told Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu this story. He said, because I don't want to be sinful having concealed something I heard from the Prophet So I held on to this hadith, this story, this narration between me and the Prophet until the day of my death because I didn't want to make people lazy, but I also don't want to conceal something that the Prophet said to me. Another narration, he said I was on a, uh, an animal with the Prophet named Ufayr. So I was riding behind the Prophet and I said, Ya Rasulullah, O Sunni, O Messenger of Allah, give me advice. And in one narration, the Prophet told him to be mindful of Allah wherever he is. Be mindful of Allah wherever you are. He said, Ya Rasulullah, O Sunni, O Messenger of Allah, give me more advice. And the Prophet said, follow up a sin with a good deed and it will wipe it out. Ya Rasulullah, O Sunni, O Messenger of Allah, give me advice. Treat people with good manners. In this narration, Mu'adh radiallahu anhu said, Awsani, the Prophet said, Man saama Ramadan, wa salla salawat, wa hajj al-bayt, whoever fasts the month of Ramadan and performs the salah and performs the hajj. And he said, and he may have mentioned zakah in this capability or in this capacity. It is a right upon that person, or it is right from that person upon Allah, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive that person, whether they migrated for the sake of Allah or they remained in the land in which they were born. Meaning, what? Whoever does these five pillars will be forgiven. It's again another hadith of Bushra, another hadith of glad tidings. So I said to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Ya Rasulullah, should I tell people this one? So the Prophet said, nas, leave the people, يعملون, leave them acting in the best capacity, فَإِنَّ فِي الْجَنَّةِ مِئَةَ دَرَجَةً Because in paradise, there are 100 levels. And between every two levels, كَمَا بَيْنَ السَّمَاءِ وَالْأَرْضِ is like the distance between the heavens and the earth. وَالْفِرْدَوْسُ أَعْلَى الْجَنَّةِ And Firdaus is the highest level of paradise and it's most expansive. And above that is وَفَوْقَ دَارِكَ عَرْشُ الرَّحْمَانِ وَمِنْهَا تُفَجَّرُ أَنْهَارُ الْجَنَّةِ Above that is the throne of the Most Merciful. And from that throne, the rivers of paradise flow forth. And so, if you ask, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, فَإِذَا سَأَلْتُمُ اللَّهَ فَسَلُوهُ الْفِرْدَوْسِ If you ask Allah, then ask Him for Al-Firdaus. Another 
famous narration from Mu'adh also next to the Prophet Another time Mu'adh says, for example, and I'm just giving a sample of the ahadith to give you an idea of the relationship here. Mu'adh says, two companions of the Prophet started fighting with each other, started arguing, they got angry. And the Prophet said to me, Inni la'a'lamu kalima, law qalaha la dhahaba ghadabuhu. I know a word that if he was to say it, his anger would go away. So he's talking to Mu'adh as he's watching two companions in an argument. Why didn't the Prophet just go up to the guy that was mad and getting a little out of hand and tell him this word? Anyone know what's the wisdom here? Think about it. Close, yeah? He's got to learn himself. You're getting very close. Not wrong answers. The answer to this that the ulama say is that the Prophet ﷺ, if he would have walked up to the man and said something to him while he's lost his temper, he might have blown up at the Prophet ﷺ, and then his situation would be much worse than it was in the moment. Right? Let him blow off his steam, and then when he calms down, the Prophet ﷺ can give him this advice, or someone can go talk to him and tell him what he should do next time he gets angry. Because if the Prophet ﷺ went up to him and said, you know, say, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem, uh, calm down, that he might have said to the Prophet ﷺ, get away from me or something like that, and then he would have really fallen into a much worse sin than he actually was. So the Prophet ﷺ tells Mu'adh the scholar of the Ummah, by the way, if he were to say something, it would save him, it would calm him down. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem. To say A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem when you are angry. Now, just like many of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, there is a growing process too. And sometimes there can be an overzealousness. So there are two famous narrations about Mu'adh in this regard. The first one, Mu'adh says that the Prophet ﷺ informed me that I pray Isha with him, and then I go back to my people and I lead them in Isha. So Mu'adh used to pray Isha with the Prophet ﷺ in his masjid. And then he'd go back to his tribe and he'd lead them in Isha in their musalla. Okay? Which is why some of the, uh, the schools of thought allow on this basis a person to pray with a different intention. That he would lead with a nafila, with a voluntary intention, while his people would be praying Salatul Isha. And he's praying just a nafila. He's praying a voluntary prayer. Alright? So Mu'adh when he would go and lead his people in prayer, you know what he was reading in Isha? Surah Al-Baqarah, Ali Imran. Don't you ever get mad at us for how we lead Isha. Right? So he's reading Al-Baqarah, he's reading, I mean, literally one narration says he read Al-Baqarah. He's reading the longest surahs of the Qur'an in Isha. So you're praying behind Mu'adh radiallahu anhu Isha, and it's a long Isha. And so, an old man gets upset, and he complains, and Mu'adh radiallahu anhu says, he's a munafiq, he's a hypocrite, the guy doesn't like the Qur'an, what's wrong with him? Right, he doesn't like listening to the recitation of the Qur'an. So the man came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and he told the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa what happened, and the Prophet said to him, are you going to be a fitna for the people of Mu'adh? Are you going to test the people, O oh, Mu'adh, in this regard? 
إِذَا صَلَّيْتَ بِالنَّاسِ When you lead the people in prayer, فَقْرَأْ بِالشَّمْسِ وَضُحَاهَا وَسَبِّحْ إِسْمَ رَبِّكَ الْأَعْلَى وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا يَغْشَى Read surahs like, you know, Surah Al-Shams and Surah Al-Layl and Surah Al-A'la. Read the shorter surahs in Isha because otherwise you're going to be a fitna for these people. They just became Muslim. They're not ready for this. You can pray with Al-Baqarah in your Qiyam layl But you have amongst you the elderly, you have amongst you people that cannot keep up with you if you read these long surahs of the Qur'an. So this was part of Mu'adh radiallahu anhu's learning process here, right? is that you don't lead people in Salatul Isha with Al-Baqarah. There's also the famous narration where as the Prophet is giving uh, advice and talking about the things that enter a person into paradise and enter the people into the hellfire, the Prophet mentioned the tongue. And Mu'adh said, Ya Rasulullah, do people enter hellfire because of what they say? Because of the tongue? And the Prophet said the famous words, فَكِلَتْكَ أُمُّكَ يَا Mu'adh." May your mother lose you, O Mu'ad. This was an expression of the Arabs. It's not literally a du'a from the Prophet amongst him, against him, as you'll see how much the Prophet loved him. But it's an expression of amazement. Of course, O Mu'ad. Do people fall face first in the fire for anything more frequent than what the tongue harvests? By the way, it's a serious hadith because what the Prophet is saying, most of the people in hellfire are there because of this. That's the implication of this hadith. Most people that end up in hellfire end up in hellfire because of their tongues. Right? Because of the things that they say, because of their backbiting, because of their lying, because of their slander, because of their gossip. Most people end up because of this in the hellfire. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. Allahumma ameen. So this was one of the famous narrations of Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu as well. He also narrates the stages of prayer, the stages of fasting. He was uh, one of those who was there when the prohibition came on alcohol. Remember Anas radiallahu anhu said that they were serving wine. Mu'adh was one of those people sitting in that gathering when the verse of tahrim, when the verse of prohibition came and they broke the bottles and they uh, filled the streets of Medina with that wine and they said they would never drink from that alcohol again. He's someone who, because of fiqh, because of his knowledge of halal and haram, was able to narrate some of the details of what the nullifiers of wudu are, what the nullifiers of salah are. He's the one who narrates the salah of the Prophet in battle, in tabuk. So how the, you know, the exact time frames the Prophet would pray, Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib, and Isha, the, the combining of the Prophet he's the one who narrates it from tabuk. And if you remember, in the story of Ka'b ibn Malik عنه, not too long ago, he was the one who, when the Prophet said, where is Ka'b ibn Malik in the battle of Tabuk? And one of the men said he got held back because of his garments, because of you know, all the uh, riches and, and gardens that he had. Mu'adh was the one who stood up and who objected and said, what a horrible thing you've said. We only know about Ka'ab good things. We only know about Ka'ab good things. See, subhanAllah, you talk about how, do you, how you practice a hadith. He's the one that narrates that most people end up in hellfire because of their tongue. And then he's the one who demonstrated the best way to use your tongue. When someone else backbites, and Mu'adh is the one who says, how could you say that about another companion of the Prophet We only know good things about Ka'ab ibn Malik. And Ka'ab says, I never forgot that from Mu'adh I never. I never forgot what he did for me 
by speaking up on my behalf when that man backbited me in the presence of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So he's someone who observes what he is learning from the Prophet in the most beautiful ways. Mu'adh was also someone who was distinguished as we said. Obviously, if you love the Qur'an the way that he does, you're distinguished by your night prayer because the way that these companions kept their relationship with the Qur'an is they stood up at night and they prayed, they recited these Qur'an, this Qur'an long into the night. One of the beautiful du'as that's narrated from him Al-Asma'i says that Mu'adh ibn al-Jabal, when he would stand up at night to pray, listen to what he would say. Allahumma gharat al-nujum. Oh Allah, the stars have appeared. Wahada'at al-uyum. And the eyes have shut. Wa anta al-hayyu al-qayyum. And you are the ever-living, the ever-sustaining. Allahumma gharat al-nujum. Wahada'at al-uyum. Oh Allah, the stars have appeared, the eyes of the people have shut, and you are the ever-living and the ever-sustaining. My fleeing away from hellfire is ever so slow. And the way I'm seeking paradise is not strong enough. SubhanAllah, accusing himself. I'm not running fast enough from hellfire. And I'm not pursuing Jannah with the strength and with the determination that I need to be pursuing paradise. And I don't have anything to present in my case to you except that I bear witness, O oh Allah, that there is no God but you, and that Muhammad is your slave and messenger. Now, remember the hadith I narrated that whoever says, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, Haram Allahu alayhi nar, that Allah has prohibited hellfire for him, Allah will not punish him. Mu'ad did not narrate that until he died. But this was Mu'ad standing up at night and saying, Ya Allah, I know I'm not doing the best that I can. I know I could be fleeing hellfire faster and pursuing Jannah, pursuing paradise with greater strength and determination. But what I've prepared for this moment that I stand before you is that I bear witness that there is no God but Allah and that Muhammad is his final messenger. Mu'adh also is the one who narrates famously, and this was a, uh, a discussion between him and Abu Musa al-Ash'ari. Him and Abu Musa al-Ash'ari who went back to Yemen together to call the people to Islam. Him and Abu Musa had a long conversation about their Qur'an reading habits, when they read Qur'an and when they pray. So how do you sleep? How do you wake up? How do you read? What intervals do you choose? How often do you do a khatam of the Qur'an? Long discussion between them. The end of it is Mu'adh radiallahu anhu says, and I have another secret. The secret is, إِنِّي لَأَحْتَسِبُ نَوْمَتِي كَمَا أَحْتَسِبُ قَوْمَتِي I seek the reward from Allah for my sleep, the way I seek the reward from Allah for my standing up at night. Why is that? What is it? You're the man, mashallah. May Allah make you like Mu'adh. Say ameen. So, it's the intention. He says that I seek the reward for my sleep the way I seek the reward for my prayer at night. See, this is the fiqh of Mu'adh. This is the understanding. This is why you can see he has a superior understanding of the religion. He gets it. 
He said, because the only reason I sleep is to garner the strength to wake up and pray. So before I sleep, I make the intention with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he rewards me for my sleep the same way he rewards me for my prayer at night. So he's letting Abu Musa radiallahu anhu in into a, a, a secret, a means by which he comes close to Allah even with something that we would see as, uh, as being you know, forced upon us or something that's just a matter of human nature. So this was the fiqh, the understanding of Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu ta'ala anhu and his superiority of that. And clearly, you're not going to understand halal and haram better than anybody else in the ummah unless you have a heart that is deeply connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and trying to perceive the deeper meanings of what is coming to you from this Qur'an. That is Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Now when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and again this is a, a deep relationship that he has with Mu'adh and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi putting him very early on in a position of leadership with his knowledge. When the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam went back to Mecca and Fatah Mecca, one of the greatest testimonies to the leadership of Mu'adh ibn Jabal is that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam put him in charge of Mecca to teach the people the religion now as he went back to Medina. So think about this, and that's why I said to me, Mu'adh and Mus'ab have a lot of similarities, right? Mus'ab was the young man from Mecca that taught Medina and its converts, the religion before the Prophet ﷺ got there. Now Mecca, though it was the home of the Prophet ﷺ, he grew up amongst these people, the whole religion was legislated in Medina, right? In the first half of the call of the Prophet ﷺ in Mecca, there was no fiqh, there was no halal and haram, there wasn't legislation yet. Right? It was belief in Allah, belief in the Messenger, belief in the hereafter, belief in paradise, belief in the fire, protecting yourself from the spiritual delusion that led these people to idol worship and being an ethical and honest human being. That's what the revelation was, the character of the revelation was in Mecca. So you have to think about it this way, when the Prophet comes to Mecca, thousands of people now are going to be Muslim. And the Prophet says to Mu'adh stay back for a year and teach them their religion. So Mu'adh is responsible as a young Madani, just like a young Makki once went to Medina and taught the people. And this, by the way, one of the wisdoms of this that some of the scholars mention is the Prophet was breaking the hierarchy of tribe and the idea that you can only learn from someone that looks like you or that's from your, your tribe. You know, one of the, the, the issues that we have obviously is that you, know, you only trust scholars from your region, you only listen to people that remind you of, of a background that you have. So the Prophet putting, sending someone from Mecca to teach the people in Medina and then leaving someone from Medina to teach the people of Mecca, a young person from Medina to teach the people of Mecca was a sign that ilm, knowledge, is where the hierarchy comes from. That he's more knowledgeable than you, so you need to learn from this young man who's going to teach you your religion. And so the Prophet left him for an entire year in Mecca to teach the people their religion. And Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, as we said, he used to tell the people, he said, if anyone has a fiqh issue and Mu'adh is around, go to Mu'adh ibn Jabal. And one time, Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu even corrected Umar radiallahu anhu publicly. Now Umar radiallahu anhu, older, wiser, has a greater station with the Prophet sallallahu and also has fiqh, has jurisprudence and knowledge. But Umar was humble enough, radiallahu anhu, to listen to the challenges from some of the other scholars amongst the companions on certain issues. 
And so one time Mu'adh corrected him publicly on a judgment that he made. And Umar anhu, he said, Women don't give birth to people like Mu'adh anymore. If it wasn't for Mu'adh, Umar would have destroyed himself. Like that's the praise of a young man, subhanAllah. This is how Umar anhu builds these youth, the way the Prophet built these youth up, right? It's pretty intimidating to correct Umar bin Khattab. <laughs> but Umar was welcoming the youth amongst the companions to correct him when they saw something wrong, when they heard something wrong. And he praises, he says, women don't give birth to children like Mu'adh ibn Jabal. Women are not capable of giving birth to people like Mu'adh ibn Jabal anymore. If it wasn't for Mu'adh, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu would have destroyed himself. Umar would have been astray. Now, this is to me the most beautiful part of the seerah of Mu'adh and it's probably the most unique part of the seerah of Mu'adh radiallahu anhu to anyone else. Uh, there are numerous ahadith that come from when the Prophet وسلم, dispatched Mu'adh to Yemen to teach the people of Yemen the religion of Islam. And I want you to actually imagine the scene because the context of this hadith is the Prophet puts Mu'adh on top of his camel and he holds the hand of Mu'adh and he basically walks with him and starts to give him all of this advice about how he's going to teach the people the religion. It's a beautiful genre of ahadith, a beautiful section of ahadith. And honestly, you could take any one of the ahadith of the Prophet's advice to Mu'adh as he sent him to Yemen and you could, you could spend hours with it because it's basically how you set up a society. He's sending Mu'adh to an entirely different group of people and he's a young man and the Prophet is telling him what he needs to do individually and societally to connect people to Allah and the Messenger so before he sends him off, there's one issue, and that is that Mu'adh was so generous that he basically got himself into debt. So anytime wealth would come to Mu'adh, he would give it away. And so he doesn't want to leave Medina with debts on him. So he has the Prophet help him basically either pay off his debts, sell what's left of his possessions to pay off his debts, or the Prophet speak to the debtor so that he can relieve Mu'adh from the burden of that debt. So that's the first thing. And you'll see this, subhanAllah, that one of the uh, descriptions of Mu'adh ibn Jabal was his sadaqah, was his superior generosity. And then you have that the Prophet Rasulullah took my hand and he said, Ya Mu'adh, inni la uhibbuk. Mu'adh, I love you. SubhanAllah, this is so beautiful. You know, because remember how we started, Abu Idris al-Khawlani walks up to Mu'adh in Damascus, he has no idea who this man is, and he tells him, I love you for the sake of Allah. How many people could document that the Prophet looked them in the eye and said, I love you for the sake of Allah. Mu'adh, inni la'uhibbuk. Mu'adh, I love you. Faqultu, wa ana uhibbuk ya Rasulullah, and I love you, O Messenger of Allah. I mean, how beautiful is that? Like, imagine the Prophet telling you that. Ya Rasulullah, I love you too. So the Prophet says, فَلَا تَدَعْ أَن تَقُولَ 
في كل صلاة اللهم عني على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك So because I love you, hear me out on this. Every time you pray, at the end of your prayer, do not forget to say, Allahumma a'inni ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husni ibadatik. Allahumma a'inni ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husni ibadatik. Oh Allah, support me, help me to properly remember you, help me to properly thank you, and help me to properly worship you. So the Prophet is saying, Mu'adh, I love you. Mu'adh says, I love you too. The Prophet says, so hear me out on this. I mean, how will you ever forget the advice the Prophet is gonna say after that, right? I mean, the Prophet alone with you, walking you to the outskirts of Medina and saying, I want you to know that I love you. And by the way, SubhanAllah, a testimony to the Prophet that he broke a lot of societal norms, right, in this regard. You know, when it came to uh, the way the Prophet ﷺ embraced his children, also nurturing the love for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala between the brothers of the companions, between the sisters of the companions, that this was something that the Prophet ﷺ said when someone came to him and said, I love this person for the sake of Allah, what did the Prophet ﷺ say? He said, did you tell him? You know, some of you guys be like, that's weird, bro. <laughs> no, like, Prophet ﷺ said, go tell them. Go tell the person that you love them. Right? So here the Prophet is acting on his own advice. Yeah, Mu'adh, inni la uhibbuk. Mu'adh, I love you. Mu'adh says, I love you too, Ya Rasulullah. So don't forget to say at the end of every prayer, Allahumma inni ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husni ibadatik. The Prophet says also in one narration, what is the most famous narration, Usul al fiqh in establishing how we derive fiqh, how we derive understanding. He said, Ya Mu'adh, كَيْفَ تَقْضِي إِذَا عَرَضَ لَكَ الْقَضَاءِ O Mu'adh, how will you judge if you're put in a position to judge? You're going to be alone now. You, it's not like Medina, where you can walk over and ask me a question. You're going to be alone judging this entirely foreign group of people, teaching them the religion. How do you judge when you're asked to judge? By the way, keep in mind here, Sham has not come under Islam yet. Persia has not come under Islam yet. Yemen is the first big place that's coming under Islam here. So what are you going to do if something comes to you? So he said, Aqli bi kitabillah. I'll start with the book of Allah. I'll start with the Quran. Prophet says, فَإِنَّمْ تَجِدْ فِي كِتَابِ اللَّهِ And what if you don't find it in the book of Allah? قَالَ فَبِسُنَّةِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ Then I'll go to your sunnah. I'll go to what I learned from you in the sunnah. قَالَ فَإِنْ لَمْ تَجِدْ فِي سُنَّةِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ وَلَا فِي كِتَابِ اللَّهِ And if you don't find it in the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ or in the book of Allah, you're going to face new affairs. What are you going to do? قَالَ أَجْتَهِدُ رَأِي Then I'll use my best opinion. وَلَا أَلُوا And I won't spare any effort to get it right. I'm going to try to use my best reasoning to match then the Qur'an and the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. قِيَاسْ اجتهاد These terms that come from this. Using the best analogy, the best way to match what I understood that the Prophet was trying to achieve with his rulings when something new comes up. So he said, The Prophet he put his hand on my chest and he said, All praises be to Allah who 
helped, who gave tawfiq, who helped the messenger of the messenger of Allah to find something which pleases the messenger of Allah. Meaning like Mu'adh gave the perfect answer there. You couldn't have answered me any more perfect than that. So the Prophet puts his hand on his chest, celebrating him. Like, great job. That's exactly what you're supposed to do when you face a new, uh, a new issue. He also said, Mu'adh radiallahu anhu said, the Prophet told me and Abu Musa al-Ash'ari radiallahu anhu, yassira wa la tu'assira, bashira wa la tunaffira, wa tatawa'a. Prophet says, give people glad tidings. Don't make them despair. Make things easy for the people. Don't make things difficult for them. وَتَطَاوَعَ means cooperate with one another. You're gonna, you know, you have each other, there are a few companions and you have two scholars amongst the companions. Work together to find the right way to deal with the situation. The Prophet also said, يَا مُعَاذِ إِنَّكَ تَأْتِي قَوْمًا أَهْلَ كِتَابٍ O Mu'adh, you're coming to a people who are the people of the book. What were the people of Yemen? They were Christians, right? So you're going to go and engage people. They're not pagans, they're not, they're not idol worshippers. They're people of the book. So he said, so call them, فَدْعُوهُمْ إِلَىٰ شَهَادَةِ أَلَّا إِلَٰهِ اللَّهِ وَأَنِّي رَسُولُ اللَّهِ Said first thing you start with is call them to لَا إِلَىٰهِ اللَّهِ مُحَمَّدَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ So this is a manhaj in da'wah now, methodology in da'wah. And by the way, it could not be more relevant than it is today. Everything is secondary to tawheed. Everything is secondary to the call of monotheism. The first thing you start with, try to call them to لَا إِلَٰهِ اللَّهِ and that I am the Messenger of Allah. فَإِنْ أَطَاعُوكَ If they follow you in that, فَأَعْلِمْهُمْ أَنَّ اللَّهَ عَزَّ وَجَلِ افْتَرَضَ عَلَيْهِمْ خَمْسَ صَلَوَاتٍ Then make it known to them that Allah has mandated on them five prayers every day and every night. If they follow you in that, then tell them or inform them that Allah has commanded upon them a sadaqa تُؤْخَذُ مِنْ أَغْنِيَائِهِمْ it's taken from their rich, the zakah, is taken from their rich and given to their poor. This is the basis by which some of the scholars say local zakah is preferable, historically speaking in fiqh, right? That the area around you, because the Prophet said, take from their rich and give to their poor. And if they follow you, then show them uh, or, or teach them that the most precious of their wealth is that which they give for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and you should not touch the most precious of their wealth. And he says, Fear the dua of the one who has been wronged. Fear the dua of the oppressed. There is no barrier between the call of the oppressed and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So be careful, do not wrong people. Do not let them make dua against you, O Mu'adh. And that's why, even if it's the dua of a kafir, even if it's the dua of a non-believer, do not wrong the people and then cause them to make a dua against you, O Mu'adh. So we get the rules of zakah. We get the rules of the manhaj of da'wah. We get the rules of usul al-fiqh. All in this one conversation, by the way, where the Prophet is walking Mu'adh to the outskirts of Medina and telling him what he needs to do when he gets to Yemen. And then Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu says that the Prophet ﷺ commanded me on how to take the jizya, which is of course those who will not be Muslim, but they will live under the protection of the Muslims. This is the jizya. And this is one of the ways, by the way, that we know that the jizya is not some oppressive tax that was placed on non-Muslims. He said that the Prophet ﷺ said, take one dinar from them or 
ma'afariyan. Uh, ma'afariyan was a garment, it was, it was considered the cheapest garment amongst Ahlul Yemen, the cheapest cloth amongst the people of Yemen. So it's take something from them in return for the protection from the Muslims. So it's not like you're going to go burden them with some crazy tax. No, we get the rules and the spirit of the jizya as well. Now, with all of that being said, subhanAllah, this is probably the hardest hadith for me to narrate. <laughs> and, and I honestly was hesitant to narrate it. Because uh, I think about this hadith every time I go to Medina. Um, and I'll kind of give a, a, a preface to it. May Allah write down for us a accepted umrah. Because I want you to think about this next time you go to Medina, inshaAllah ta'ala. If Medina is this amazing now, imagine how it was when the Prophet was alive. That's the first thing. How many of you have been to Medina? Can you raise your hands? Wasn't it amazing? <laughs> Can you imagine what it was like when the Prophet was actually there? Right? Like you go to Medina and you feel the Prophet's presence everywhere. Right? It's so beautiful, so peaceful, so tranquil. As soon as you get to Medina, it's like, wow. Like, subhanAllah, you feel like you're walking amongst the companions of the Prophet So, <clears throat> that's the first thing. The second thing, before I narrate this hadith here, you know, imagine the Prophet taking you to the airport. Bear with me for a moment. But imagine the Prophet dropping you back off at the airport to leave Medina. This is essentially what this hadith is about to become. Like, can you imagine you go to visit the most beloved person in the world to you? Your mother, your father, maybe, and they're not going to make it, probably. That might, that's pro you know inside of you that might be the last time you're ever going to see them. And they're dropping you off at the airport. What's that last embrace going to be like between you and that mother, you and that father, you and that loved one? Right? When you kind of know on the inside that I might not see you again. This might be it. Mu'adh radiallahu anhu, I mean this hadith and this, this genre of hadith is very sweet with the Prophet sallallahu walking with Mu'adh radiallahu anhu and giving him advice on how to lead in Yemen. But then the Prophet sallallahu drops something on Mu'adh radiallahu anhu that absolutely breaks his heart. He says that while the Prophet sallallahu was walking with me and Mu'adh radiallahu anhu was on top of his camel, and the Prophet وسلم, is seeing him off. And he gets to the gates of Medina. So this is the end of Medina. Mu'ad, this is where I bear you farewell. The Prophet وسلم, is walking under him. <clears throat> and he says, Ya Mu'ad, innaka asa an la talqani ba'da Mu'ad, listen, this might be the last time you ever see me. He wasn't expecting it, right? Like, this is, subhanAllah, a man who is a center. And I mean, the Sahaba could not imagine the day that the Prophet would die. Prophet was not sick, but the Prophet is now informing Mu'ad, <clears throat> this might be the last time that you see me. You might come back to find a masjid in a grave. SubhanAllah. You might come back and you won't find me, you'll find my grave. I can't imagine that. It's so painful to leave Medina. Anyway, imagine the Prophet himself taking you and the Prophet looking at you and saying, 
Next time you come, you're probably just going to find the masjid in my grave. So Mu'adh radiallahu anhu baka Mu'adhun jasha'an li firaqi Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Mu'adh started to weep. He absolutely broke down. Like, what? <laughs> this was all good until this part, right? Like, you told me you love me, you gave me advice on how to lead. Ya Rasulullah, what are you talking about? I'm going to come back and find a grave instead of you and find a masjid? I'm not going to see you again? And the Prophet said, La tabki ya Mu'ad, don't cry, O Mu'ad. The Prophet turned back towards Medina. And Rasulullah said, Inna awla nasabi al muttaqoon man kanu wa haythu kanu. Mu'ad, the people that are closest. The people that are closest to me are the people of taqwa, whoever they are, wherever they are. Meaning, it's okay. I'm bidding you farewell. You're not going to see me again in this dunya. But the connection to me, it transcends time and place. So you're going to go to Yemen. I'm sending you to Yemen. When you come back, you're going to find a grave and you're going to find a masjid. But the Prophet says this as he's looking back at Medina, as if even he knows, وسلم, Medina will not be the same without him. He knows it. So he's looking back at Medina, he's telling Mu'adh, the muttaqoon always stay close to me. People of taqwa, people of piety, they stay connected to me, whoever they are, wherever they are. Allahumma ja'anna minhum. Allahumma ameen. And Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu, I mean, subhanAllah, he couldn't stop crying. And Rasulullah he sent him off. And Mu'adh radiallahu anhu said, he said to me, Hafidhakallah min bayni yadayka wa min khalfika wa dara'a anka sharra al-insi wal-jinn. May Allah protect you from your right, from your left, from in front of you and behind you, and from the evil of al-ins wal-jinn, subhanAllah, from human beings and jinn. As if a parent is bidding farewell to their child, like Mu'adh, go. You've got to do this. May Allah protect you. And Mu'adh radiallahu anhu, now you can imagine it's hard for him to leave Medina. And he says, the last thing the Prophet said to me as he's sending me off, like sending off the camel. Ahsin khuluqaka nasi ya Mu'adh ibn Jabal. Show people only the best of your manners, O Mu'adh ibn Jabal. Treat the people well, O Mu'adh. Show them the spirit of what I taught you. Show them Islam. Show them Islam. Just like when he sent Mus'ab anhu to Medina. Ahsin khuluqaka nasi ya Mu'adh ibn Jabal. It's the last words he heard from the Prophet You better show the people only the best of your character. And Mu'adh anhu, that was the last time he saw the Messenger Some of the descriptions in fact of Mu'adh is that when he arrived in Yemen, uh, you saw the effects of his weeping. He probably cried the whole way, right? Like, how do you shake that off in a journey when the Prophet just told you, that's it, you're coming back to a grave and a masjid. And Mu'adh radiallahu anhu got to Yemen, and Yemen fell in love with him. Amr ibn Maymun, he talked about when Mu'adh arrived in Yemen, he said that we gathered around him and gave the most beautiful of words, 
and he led the people with good, and he gave da'wah to the people, and people embraced Islam. And he said, I dedicated myself to Mu'adh until I buried him in a sham, and then I went and I dedicated myself to Ibn Mas'ud as he told me to. But like, he did exactly what the Prophet ﷺ told him to do. And so, <clears throat> the Prophet ﷺ passed away while Mu'adh radiallahu anhu was in Yemen, as uh, he told Mu'adh radiallahu anhu would happen. <clears throat> the next we really hear about him is in a sham, and that's where some of those earlier narrations come <clears throat> in Syria, because it was in Syria there where Umar uh, placed Mu'adh first and foremost um, as a scholar and then eventually as the head of a sham, as the head scholar of a sham, after uh, Yazid ibn Abi Sufyan as the governor of a sham, not Yazid ibn Muawiyah, Yazid ibn Abi Sufyan anhu was a companion. And then Mu'adh when he made it to Asham after Yemen, he became the head scholar of Asham that people would look to as they used to look to him in the society of the Prophet And then Umar heard about the plague that was starting to become widespread in that time. And listen to what Umar said. He said, In adrakani ajali wa abu ubaidat ibn jarrah hayyun. If my death comes to me and Abu Ubaidah al-Jarrah, the Amin of this Ummah, is still alive, he said, I would make Abu Ubaidah the Khalifa. فَإِنْ سَأَلَنِي اللَّهِ لِمَا اسْتَخْلَفْتَهُ عَلَىٰ أُمَّةِ مُحَمَّدٍ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ And if Allah were to ask me, why did you make him the Khalifa of this Ummah? I would say, إِنِّي سَمِعْتُ رَسُولَكَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ يَقُولُ that the Prophet said that every ummah has a trustworthy person, a person who carries their trust. And the trustworthy person, the Amin of this ummah, is Abu Ubaidah al Jarrah radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So some of the people, they started to say, What about this person? What about this person? And Umar radiallahu anhu rejected it. And he said, فَإِنْ أَدْرَكَنِي أَجَلِي وَقَدْ تَوُفِّيَ Abu Ubaidah. And if my death comes to me and Abu Ubaidah has passed away, I would put Mu'adh ibn Jabal as the Khalifa of this Ummah. And if my Lord were to ask me, Why did you make him the Khalifa? The Prophet ﷺ, I heard the Prophet ﷺ say that he will be raised amongst the scholars with a degree of separation. He will be ahead of all of the scholars on the Day of Judgment when he is resurrected. So his position with Umar anhu is the position of a potential Khalifa. Just to understand sometimes when you talk about people that existed at the time and the ranks that they had. It's a, it's a pointless exercise when you start to say, well, was he better than this person and better than this person and better than this person? Just take from it what a great man he is. That's all. Instead of comparing to this person, comparing to that person, comparing to this person. Now, subhanAllah, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu maintained a relationship between Abu Ubaidah and Mu'adh. And Umar, part of his tarbiyah was to test the people that he thought very highly of and that he loved most. So one time, he took 400 dinar. This is before the plague breaks out in Asham. And he sends uh, a messenger to Abu Ubaidah radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And he told him, uh, 
stay with him for some time in his house. When you take the 400 dinars to him, tell him that Amir al-Mu'mineen, that the Khalifa sends this to you, and then sit with him, until you see what he does. I want to know what Abu Ubaidah is going to do when I send him the 400 dinars. It's a lot of money at the time. So he went to him and he said, Amir al-Mu'mineen, the commander of the believer says, take this money. فقال, May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless him, have mercy on him. Abu Ubaidah made dua for Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And then he called the young girl, he said, take seven dinars to this person, five dinars to this person, two dinars to this person. He started to divide all of that 400 amongst the poor people that he knew in the area. And that person went back to Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu and Umar radiallahu anhu was pleased. So that's the Amin of this Ummah. I knew, I knew he would do that. I knew where his heart would be, that he couldn't be tempted. Then he said, now go to Mu'adh ibn Jabal, take this 400 dinars and go to Mu'adh ibn Jabal. So he goes to Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu ta'ala anhu and Mu'adh ibn Jabal says the same thing. May Allah have mercy on Amir al-Mu'mineen. And he starts to call for five dinars here, seven dinars here, two dinars here, except that the young man said that while Mu'adh radiallahu anhu was distributing all of the money, his wife said, hold on, نحن والله masakin. We're poor too, you know. And Mu'adh radiallahu anhu was so like, just quick, money comes in, it goes out. So his wife said, you know, we're also poor, we need money here. So Mu'adh radiallahu anhu took the last two dinars and he gave it to his wife. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, when the man came back, he said, what did, they, what did he do? He told them what he did. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he laughed and he said, innahum ikhwah ba'duhum min ba'd. They're brothers from the same, they're cut from the same cloth, right? These are two brothers. I know my companions. I know Abu Ubaidah. I know Mu'adh. And I knew that that was going to be the way that they were going to act. One time, Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu, uh, Umar sent him radiallahu anhu to be uh, a distributor of zakah. And he came back home and once again, he didn't have anything. So his wife said, where is the wealth, where is the money that those who right? Allah mentions those who distribute the zakah should have a share, they, they get paid as well. So Mu'adh had to find his way out of not bringing home any money. So he says <clears throat> that Umar sent a raqib with me. You know, he sent, there was someone else that was with me, like a watcher over me. And she says, But you were a leader in the time of the Prophet How could Amir al-Mu'mineen do that to you? So she complained, and it got back to Umar radiallahu anhu, and Umar radiallahu anhu calls Mu'adh, and he says, what are you talking about? I didn't send anybody with you. And Mu'adh radiallahu anhu says, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, lam ajid uh, ma a'tadhiru bihi ilayha. He said, I couldn't find an excuse to give her. Al-Raqib huwa Allah, Allah is the watcher over me. And I just could not find a way out of this. And Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he laughed, and he gave him some money, and he said, take this and give it to your family, and make her happy with it, right? Go take this wealth home and make her happy with it, please her with it. So this was the character of Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu and when it comes to his death radiallahu ta'ala anhu and that plague, subhanAllah, you know, I, I always look back at before COVID started, we did a lecture on Amwas, on the plague of Amwas and how the Sahaba dealt with plague and how they dealt with widespread disease and how many companions died in this plague of Amwas? Some of the greatest companions, I mean, it was absolutely devastating, died in this one plague of Amwas in Asham. 
And the first person to go was Abu Ubaidah radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He was the Amir and he passed away. I remember Umar radiallahu anhu said that if I'm alive, I'm going to make Abu Ubaidah Khalifa and if he's dead, I'm going to make Mu'adh the Khalifa. So after Abu Ubaidah radiallahu ta'ala anhu passes away, Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu is appointed as the Amir of the people. And Mu'adh happens to be the one who narrates the hadith about the plague and that he who dies from the plague would die as a shaheed, would die as a martyr. He happens to be the narrator and he says, I remember the Prophet ﷺ putting his hand on me and sharing that with me. So he said as the plague started to spread, إِنَّهُ رَحْمَةُ رَبِّكُمْ عَزَّ وَجَلُ وَدَعْوَةُ نَبِيِّكُمْ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ وَقَبْضُ الصَّالِحِينَ قَبْلَكُمْ This is the mercy of your Lord. This is the dua of the Prophet ﷺ, meaning it would come to pass. وَقَبْضُ الصَّالِحِينَ قَبْلَكُمْ And this is what has taken some of the righteous that have preceded you. اللهم أعطي آل معاد النصيب الأوفر من هذه الرحمة. Oh Allah, grant Muad and his family the greatest mercy, the greatest share of mercy. He narrated the hadith that people who die of a plague would die shuhada. And Subhanallah, Muad radiAllahu taala anhum. He was a young man, and I'll talk about just how young in a bit. His two daughters die, and then his two sons die, and then his wife dies all from the plague of Amwas. And Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu's most beloved son was a, was a boy named Abdurrahman. Abdurrahman was basically being molded the way that Kharij ibn Zayd was being molded, like he was a copy of his father, a scholar like his father in the making. And Abdurrahman was passing away, and by the way, you know the, the narration, when you stand up to pray, pray as if it's your last prayer? Mu'adh said that to Abdurrahman, that's how we get that passed to us as well. It's one of the means by which it comes to us that he would say, share that with his son, that when you stand up to pray, pray as if it's your last prayer. So when Abdurrahman was dying, Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says to him, Ya Abdurrahman, kayfa ant? Mu'adh is barely alive. Mu'adh is the last surviving member of the family from this rapidly spreading plague. He says, how are you? And Abdurrahman recites to him verse 147 of Al-Baqarah, The truth is from your Lord, so never be amongst the doubters. So look how righteous his son is. His son responds to him with an ayah of Qur'an, meaning don't ask me to complain to you about my pain. I don't want to tell you about how I'm feeling. I don't want to tell you about I can't breathe or I'm dying. No. It's the truth from your Lord. Don't be amongst the doubters. And Mu'adh radiallahu anhu responds, وَأَنَا Allah." Satajiduni, insha'Allah, min al-sabirin. And I, insha'Allah, you will find me, insha'Allah, to be amongst the patient. The last conversation between Mu'adh and his son is a verse of Quran and a verse of Quran. <laughs> SubhanAllah. Abdurrahman passes away. And Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu survived until the next morning. There was a man that was crying, and Mu'adh radiallahu anhu said, Ma yubkik, why are you crying? And he said, ما أبكي على دنيا كنت أصبتها منك ولكن أبكي على العلم الذي كنت أصيبه منك I'm not crying because I used to benefit from you in some worldly way. It's because of all the knowledge I used to get from you. Remember how sad the companions were when Zayd ibn Thabit passed away? Like they realized this is a alim that's passing away. This is the most knowledgeable man of the ummah in halal and haram. And he's passing away right now. So he's crying because he says, 
I'm, I'm crying because I'm not going to have you around anymore to benefit from your ilm, to benefit from your knowledge. And he said, don't cry. لا تبكي فإن إبراهيم صلوات الله عليه كانت الأرض وليس بها علم. He said, you know, once upon a time, Ibrahim was on this earth and there was no knowledge on this earth. And Allah gave him knowledge. If I pass away, seek knowledge from four people. Go to Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. Go to Salman al-Farisi. Go to Uwaymir Abu Darda. And go to Abdullah ibn Salam. So we've already covered the other four and we've mentioned this narration in all four. This is the context in which that narration comes. Mu'ad is saying, look, if I die now, go to these four men. These are the four most knowledgeable people that are left where you can go and you can seek knowledge. And then when he was dying, SubhanAllah, he says, Rabbi khnukni khanqatak. Oh Allah, let, the, let it happen. As he felt his soul coming out, let it happen. And the last words Mu'adh radiallahu anhu says, you can't even write this better. He says, فَوَعِزَّتُكَ إِنَّكَ لَتَعْلَمْ أَنَّ قَلْبِي يُحِبُّكَ You know, O oh Allah, that my heart loves you. So go ahead and take my soul. Those were the last words from this great companion, Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu ta'ala anhu. You know, O oh Allah, how much my heart loves you. So go ahead and take my soul. And he died instantly after saying these words in his dua radiallahu ta'ala anhu I know we've reached the time subhanallah but I just wanted to share uh, one narration Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu anhu who of course is the first person who read the Quran publicly he was Mu'ad's brother from Mecca and he is Abdullah bin Mas'ud I mean he is the he is the man who learned Qur'an from the Prophet ﷺ like no other person. Seventy surahs fresh from the mouth of the Prophet ﷺ as they were revealed to the Messenger ﷺ. And he is an incredible human being, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And Masruq says, Masruq is one of the greatest uh, students of Abdullah bin Mas'ud. He says that we were sitting with Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu anhu and we were reviewing the Qur'an with him. So he said, we started to recite, Inna Ibrahim kana ummah. Ibrahim was an ummah. Qanitan lillah, he was uh, devout in his worship to Allah. Hanifan, a monotheist. He was not from the disbelievers. So he said, we were reciting it. And Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu anhu goes, Inna mu'adhan kana ummatan qanitan lillahi hanifan wa lam yakum al-mushrikeen. Mu'adh was an ummah. Mu'adh was an ummah. He was a nation who was devout in his worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He was not from those who attributed a partner to Allah. So they kind of stopped and they read again. Inna Ibrahim kana ummatan qani. He said, Inna Mu'adhan kana ummatan qani So they did it three times and then they were like, you know, what is this? Ma hadha ya Aba Abdurrahman, what is this? Like, the ayah says, Inna Ibrahim. He's saying, no, I know the ayah says Ibrahim. I know. But he said, نُشَبِّهُهُ Ibrahim. I'm comparing him to Ibrahim. How? He asked the students, he said, do you know what an ummah is? you know what a nation is? A nation is not a people in quantity. Do you know what a nation is? He said, الَّذِي يُعَلِّمُ النَّاسَ الْخَيْرِ Someone who teaches the people goodness. And he said, أَتَدْرُونَ مَا الْقَانِدِ Do you know who a devout worshipper is? الَّذِي يُطِيعُ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهِ The one who follows Allah and the Messenger Mu'adh by himself was an entire ummah. 
Radiallahu And subhanAllah, here's, the, uh, here's the, the plot twist at this all. How old was Mu'adh when he died? 34 years old. <laughs> if you think about this man, it's like the Sayyid of the Ulama on the Day of Judgment, the Master of the, the, the Ulama, the scholars on the Day of Judgment, all the Sahaba talking about him in this way, and the praise of Mu'adh and the global status of Mu'adh. He was 34 years old when he died. Radiallahu ta'ala Shows you, once again, subhanAllah, what the Prophet built in these people from a very young age. Those who narrated from him, Abdullah ibn Umar, Umar himself, Ibn Abbas, Jabir, Anas, Abu Umama, the list of companions that narrated from him are so long. And subhanAllah, he was only 34 years old, which means stop waiting to pursue your Lord. And this was the man who said, that I'm running too slow away from the fire and pursuing paradise with such weakness. Run to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Dedicate yourself. Mu'adh radiallahu anhu did not get that position by waiting around. He got that position because he heard the call of Allah and the Messenger and he immediately listened to it and embraced it with all of his heart. So especially to the young people in here, don't wait. Mu'adh got a head start radiallahu ta'ala anhu and that's how he became the person that he became radiallahu ta'ala anhu. SubhanAllah, uh, we're already out of time and there's a lot more to say about him. But all we can say is this was uh, the man who the Prophet said, I love you too. And this was the man who we learned that those who love each other for his sake, Allah's sake, will be under the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in high positions. And this was the man who we come close to Allah, or one of the people that we come close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to his Messenger وسلم, by loving. And so we pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us amongst those that love Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that emulate Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and that love the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam who loved Mu'adh, and that love the one who sent Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to Mu'adh and to all of us. And may Allah make us all amongst those who love each other for his sake. Allahumma ameen. Inshallah ta'ala, next week we'll talk about Ubay ibn Ka'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Jazakumullah khaira. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.